fuck Arsenal, you're a bunch of useless cunts, wank stains, overpaid the lot of you, the most insufferable, insufferable set of cunts ever to grace football. Hello and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast. If you're wondering why you don't have the usually dulcet tones of our host Plus Dave Dags, it's because he is pulling this week. Having not recorded for two weeks previously, he has decided to make it a hat trick and abandon us to go off on a jaunt to Ireland. However, you do get Plus Dave you do get our latest edition, my dear cousin Socrates, who notoriously copies me on all opinions on Spurs and plagiarizes them for himself. And this week you have me as a host. Have I come with an agenda? Have I come with preparation? Have I come with a script? No, because unlike the Spurs we've been watching for the past three seasons, I want to play out of my comfort zone. I want to draw outside of the lines. I want to give my team freedom. That's right, Dagus. You are the podcast version of Jose Mourinho, Nuno Espirito de Santo, and Antonio Conte rolled into one. I am the Pochettino that we all crave and love, who has sadly now joined our bitter rivals, which will be discussed today. But first off, after two long weeks without any PDP to fill your ears, welcome back, Dave. How are you doing, mate? Uh, hello, everyone. Hi, Elio. Hi, Socks. Still breathing. I think that's the... Uh... So that's the best you're going to get out of me from a football perspective at the moment. It, it feels like with Newcastle was the obvious result to uh, maintain this horrible not-in-stomach purgatory, which I've been in for a good few weeks now. Uh, and it is all setting up for Tottenham to be shambolic for the rest of the season until suddenly, from out of nowhere, you score a free kick, a Gianni Vaya special in the last minute against Leeds. On the last day of the season to send us down, so I've already I've already made my peace with it. To be honest, the barbecue at yours is going to be awkward. It could be could very well be very awkward, um, but but fortunately, you know, I've got two children and you don't want them to cry, so Spurs won't be. Well, let's just make sure we're all good and drunk by the final whistle. I think that that's the best way forward. Maybe send the kids to bed then. <laughs> yeah, I I think they need to be protected from the misery they'll be enduring for the rest of their lives as football supporters. Socks, how's it going? Are you faring slightly better than Dave? Or like me, are you thinking, well, you know what? It still seems more interesting than Spurs. Two games to go with each passing week. It's been four games, three games, and now we're at two games. Next week, it'll be one game and we can just put this whole mess behind us. That's I'm very one-track mind, so I can't think of a season <laughs> I've ever supported Spurs or I've been so desperate for it to end. We've had worse seasons in terms of bleak positions in this but I think I will breathe the biggest sigh of relief when this is over so only a couple more weeks I think for me the Tim Sherwood season still just etches ahead but only just I think that season was just an abomination um, because that wasn't the last sort of third of the season without a manager and an identity that was an entire three quarters of the season without a manager and an identity that's right we went with a caretaker from November which wasn't actually the first time we've done that, but the second time we've done that because Levy pulled that trick uh, first time around when he sat Hoddle and installed David Pleat for seven months. So, uh... Well, to quote you, Elio, from a, <laughs> from a WhatsApp group, I remember a few months ago where someone asked, would you rather Sissoko or Zakora? I believe your response was, that's like asking, would I rather be shat on by a cow or a horse? And the comparison of this season and the Tim Sherwood one brings up a very similar feeling for me. <laughs> well, I'm glad that my ability to metaphor and anecdote such monstrosities has stuck with you this long. Many more scars coming your way <laughs> with Spurs, I assure you. So before we talk about important things like our ridiculous manager search, what we want to potentially do in the summer, and I don't know, are we going to be Leeds fans on the final day or not? Let's address um, the two matches we've just had. Crystal Palace, Socks, in a nutshell, what do you think of, uh, well, what did we learn from that game? Did you enjoy any part of it? Uh, was there anything to take from it in terms of positives or negatives? How did you feel? Do you know what? I actually, I had a bit of an epiphany because I, I realised that I actually enjoyed the Liverpool match the week before prior. And mm. I think what it made me realise in a strange way was that football isn't necessarily about the winning or the losing, but it's about the moments. Mm. The moment I had where Richarlison scored the equaliser in the week before, even though it was ruined about two and a half minutes later, 
felt better than anything I felt in that 90 minutes against Palace, which was to say it's obviously a dead rubber, as many of our games have been this season. It was incredibly boring from start to finish. Mm. I'm happy we kept the clean sheet, I guess, but there was just nothing. Like, there was just nothing there. And I'm not criticising, like, the squad or Mason. It's just the consequence of where we are at this Mm. point in the season. But it, it was very much like watching paint dry. We have better players than them. We went out, kind of got the job done doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. The performance was fine. Um, Mason showed some tactical flexibility, to be fair to him. He had a whole week to prepare and change the system and put Pedro Porro at right midfield, effectively um, pressed more with sort of a front five, front six. So it was a a nice kind of feather in his cap because we're almost judging him, I feel, on a game-by-game basis at this point because we don't have much by way of a body of evidence. But other than one bit of individual brilliance from Kane to effectively the closest I've ever seen somebody assist themselves. And I know that's harsh because it was actually a really good cross from Poro, but it doesn't happen without the pre-assist from Kane. There wasn't really much to, to kind of write home about. So I'm not going to complain too much after a win and especially a clean sheet of which we've not had many this season. But um, like I said, at the top of this whole thing, two games to go. <laughs> well, quite. And um, yeah, I, I, I take your points completely. I think for me, seeing even a bastardized version of a 4-4-2 was quite interesting because I do believe that formations are a very cyclical thing and something that's out of vogue um, one year will be in vogue about a decade later because ultimately every formation that does rise to the top is very much by design to um, counteract whatever the main formations of the time are. That's how 4-3-3 came up with Jose uh, 20 years ago in the Premier League even. So that was quite interesting for me. Seeing Poro with no defensive duties whatsoever was quite interesting for me as well. And um, overall, I think it, it potentially showed us a glimpse of things that could happen with the body of players available because I think we've got to accept that we're not getting rid of the whole lot and replacing the whole lot much as we would like to. Dave, it was... Over a week ago now, it didn't have a recording straight afterwards. Have you treated yourself to the highlights of the Crystal Palace game? I have. I have. I'm a, I'm a, oh, I'm a wow. seasons professional, and I watched, I watched the shortest highlights I could possibly find. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not much to say. I thought, I thought Michael Elise looked sharp, which he has been looking sharp. I think I thought Eze had a couple, of, um, uh, a couple of mishits that I think he probably should have left for Elise on, on the form of that day, but obviously Eze is doing very well for himself. And you guys, you know, I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. You did well to um, limit them to, uh, to no goals, being the fact that they are Big Roy's free-scoring Crystal Palace. Um, uh, another two at the weekend just gone, another two for Eze as well. So they're certainly not on the beach for their manager who probably should be on a beach. And probably should have been on the beach for the last 15 years. We were the blip in their resurgence. Well, yeah, to an extent, yeah. They've had a couple of blips, but yeah, you're certainly one of them. But um, yeah, good good cross from Porro, good header from Kane, on to the next one. Yeah, I think that's all there is really to say about that match. I did wonder what upsets Will Zahar so much with Fraser Forster that he went and got himself booked at the end of a dead rubber game uh it made me wonder if there was a yellow cards um tossing up coming up that could get him the week off at the end of the season to go to the beach early who knows but uh other than that there wasn't really much to talk about maybe we are being hard on ourselves Dave but you should hope for a game at home to Crystal Palace to be a routine victory even at the worst of times at Spurs so the fact that that's probably been the highlight of our past two months supporting the club is in my opinion, the most damning thing in itself. And yes, I know, get out the violence. Poor old Spurs <laughs> competing for Europa League while you're uh, fighting for your lives. I still maintain faith that Everton are going to outshit you for what yeah, it's, it's worth. It's a, sh- I, I it's a shambles off down. It's a shambles off down there, and uh, and uh, we're we're doing our very best, but so are so are a few other teams. We'll see. Well, moving on from Crystal Palace to um, another side that plays in some kind of weird red and blue combination is um, the Clarence of the Midlands, Aston Villa, who have now done the double over us this season. I don't think Aston Villa can say that at any point in the past 20 years. Um, They've drawn level on points with us. They've probably got the harder last couple of games, but the better team manager and overall vibe around the club um i struggled with my 
complete legal rubbish stream of the match. I didn't care to treat myself to highlights of it afterwards. It was about <laughs> two minutes behind play at any given time, so I didn't even watch the last couple of minutes of extra time, to tell you the truth. But uh, the gist of what I got from that game was we weren't actually completely awful. They scored a free kick that they shouldn't have scored. Maybe that shouldn't have been given they scored another goal that just exposed our defense for the mess it was not quite in that order and we were awarded the penalty and scored it and very much left the match feeling just as uninterested as we entered it uh, that was me as a fan um once again socks you i know dave's caught up on the highlights himself as well but i want to see if your opinion massively differs from mine i mean i feel like the bad results gave a lot of Spurs fans an excuse to vent and vent and vent again, which has all gone very tedious as far as I'm concerned. But it wasn't a horrible watch, in my opinion. It's just that we're not very good right now. Yeah, sadly, my internet and very legal stream held up a hell of a lot better than yours did, so I had to sit through the whole two hours. <laughs> um, I don't think we had a shot on target after, a, I think it was about an hour or 70-odd minutes. That's pretty embarrassing. We essentially had the same we had the game plan which was to expose that high line and we played the same ball over the top pretty much from our very first attack five or ten minutes in i think we got caught offside nine times ten times it was the same it was a good idea but we just couldn't execute it it was normally sun doing his best like chris armstrong impression he just refused to bend his run time and time and time again and it was one of those where you could have easily scored two, three, four if he'd been half a yard slower, if you want, or he went half a yard too quickly in terms of making the run. So it wasn't necessarily a bad idea because they pushed up so high that they did leave those spaces in behind. We just couldn't execute it. It was half a pass off, half a touch too heavy or too this or too that or too mm. the other. Um, we did have some of the same frailties continually exposed as well, which is to say a midfield two of Hoiberg and Skip. If you're going to play a midfield two in a league where everybody else is playing a three, you need to have a two that's the quality of Dembele and Wanyama. Even Dembele and pre-appendicitis dire. Basically Dembele yes, and anybody okay. passable. <laughs> well, yeah, which is to say specifically somebody who's press resistant in the way Modric used to be. You need someone who can shuffle in between kind of defence, midfield mm. and attack and carry the ball and be able to be comfortable around two or three Oh, sorry, with two or three opposing players uh, surrounding them. We don't have that at the moment. We have two similar-ish players in Hoiberg and Skip. And I've seen them get a lot of criticism online, especially Hoiberg, who I'm not a massive fan of. I don't think he's particularly brilliant, but I, I think he's maybe one of the more Marmite players in our team. I think we do both of them a disservice by playing them together and asking one of them to do a role that they, they can't particularly mm. do. So that's a problem that has exposed not for the first time this season and ultimately uh, irrespective of our inability to time a run and play that simple pass over the top I think that's where the game was won and lost but I felt fairly apathetic as I have been and I think as a lot of Spurs fans have been mm. uh, I, I, in a weird way I kind of felt happy for Villa we're at a point where we're like Oprah it's like <laughs> you get a win and you get a win and you get another three points so seeing seeing how happy they were like Villa is a I've always had a soft spot for them, similar to Everton, just because I see them as like the Spurs of the Midlands, which I'd be surprised if there are any Villa fans listening, but I apologise for the insult if you've taken it in that way, which is to say you've kind of got your traditional big three of Man United, Liverpool and then Arsenal. And then I've always felt Everton, Spurs, Villa in some sort of order have been the three that historically underneath that. And you've kind of got them all as the three sleeping giant clubs that all have fairly big history. Everton with leagues, Villa have got the European Cup. We've done well in all the other cup competitions. So to see what it meant to them to potentially get back into the Europa League, which I don't think they've been in since Martin O'Neill was in charge, which must be a good 10 years ago at least now. In a strange way, because we've got nothing to fight for, I didn't mind us being particularly charitable, uh, which is a, a thing I didn't think I'd be saying at the start of the season after a defeat. But um, there's only so many times I can make that point, I suppose. But nothing there particularly... There really isn't. I mean, relevant. it's the only point we have to make up until something changes. Yeah, completely. I mean, um, again, don't want to sound like a parrot. Don't want to sound like a broken record. Two more of these to go. Brentford might be the next one. We're applauding next week and saying good for them. They've taken our Europa Conference League spot. And in a week after that, it might be, well, thank God Leeds have beaten us because, you know, it means Dave and Lee, uh, Leeds and all the other Leeds fans get to stay up. That's, that's pretty much we are just a, a very charitable club at the moment. So good luck to anybody who wants to take advantage of us. Mm, quite. I mean, you know, I'm not ever the Spurs fan that wants to celebrate our rivals' failures at the expense of our successes. So 
99 times out of 100, I'd have been upset about Brighton hammering Arsenal the other day because we already know Arsenal aren't probably winning the league and uh, it put them above us, which means that Europa is now very much a task for us. Whereas before, I think with their fixtures and ours fixtures, I still had quite a high hope for it. But to tell you the truth, I was just so happy to see them get this hammering and them be embarrassed and uh, the title now once City beat Brighton not this week, I think. Uh, is it Brighton City have this Thursday? That will wrap that up and they'll win the league and Arsenal will be out of it. And I, I was just so happy about that, uh, that it kind of showed me how little emotion I'm investing in Spurs at the moment because that wasn't really about my joy for Arsenal superseding my love of Spurs, Arsenal losing superseding my love of Spurs. It was just that my care for Spurs this season has fallen so low that the whole, oh, our rivals have f***ed up thing suddenly became really, really enjoyable. And it was a case of pinch me because I think I might be back in 1998. Mm. Um, Well, 1999, actually. 1998, sadly, they did do the double, didn't they? Um, So, yeah, I I completely get what you're saying. Are um, Are you in any way hopeful then having summed all that up that we can turn around this decline of the last few years because this has been several years worth of slumping bit by bit this 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 sort of ambivalence that both you and i keep talking about are you hopeful that spurs can give us even temporarily because you know what the pochettino thing was temporary but my oh my do i yearn for those times so do you have any hope that we can get that belief and that hope and that investment in our club again, even if it fizzles out again? Uh, so I think it's, I've got three points in it. The first would be, it depends on what your expectation is. So if the bare minimum is to feel the love and feel the excitement and look forward to a game and not just be happy at the other fans' joy at our misery, then yes, because that is a bare minimum that we really, I mean, we've cleared that bar when we finished 11th in the league. So that's, I mean, the fact that we haven't cleared that bar this year is just a damning indictment of our season. So in that respect, absolutely, yes. Yeah, uh, for going back to 1999, yeah, League Cup. I, know, I, just, I, mean, I, I could have said, oh, well, that one too. Eleven's <laughs> <laughs> uh, our lucky number. Yeah, I was going to say, this was it year ends in one? We've been doing it wrong this whole time. It's not the year. It should just be either first or 11th. We refuse to finish in any other position. Those are the I only two. Keep going, keep going. Got interrupted. <laughs> uh, no, it's all good. Um, I, I think on one hand, yes, to answer your question, like obviously we can do the bare minimum. We shouldn't even really be discussing that. In terms of actually building ourselves to be a team that is, because now our top six place, if you want, is under threat, top six, top seven, wherever you want to look at it as there is the spine and the nucleus of a good team with or without Harry Kane. Mm. Uh, the facilities and the finances and all the rest of it are healthy. We're still the ninth uh, richest club in the world. The revenue we pull in, even without Champions League football, is still substantial. And by substantial, I mean substantial enough for us to be a competitive team. And you can still, hopefully, in theory, on paper, attract a decent enough, again, the operative word here is almost enough, but a decent enough coach to come in and make these players more than the sum of their parts. Mm. Where I would lean more towards no, and I think it's something we're going to, going to discuss a bit in terms of the managerial search is how much faith you have in the board in executing this because we could have had this discussion two three four years ago and i think we probably would have been saying similar things Mm. and we've made very grave mistakes that were incredibly avoidable and like you touched upon it's been one mistake after another as opposed to this one kind of the opposite of whatever a silver bullet is, I guess, that has completely killed the... So I think a lot of the conversation around Spurs at the moment and the reason many people feel so apathetic is because I feel there has been a change in terms of the faith or lack thereof that people have in the hierarchy. Mm. I think if you have faith that the board will get the managerial appointment right and will back him well enough, again, that word enough, then there's no reason we can't have whatever a half-decent season would look like next year. If you're more on the other side of the fence where you think, well, the last three managerial appointments we made have been Nuno and Conte and Jose, and basically every major decision the club have made since the Champions League final has pretty much been 
fairly bad, then I think you're going to take more of a pessimistic view, which is where I unfortunately reside at the moment. And I hate being negative all the time just because mm. it's just not how you place for me to be. Not just I forget the podcast. I just don't want to feel this way about Spurs all the time. But I'm basing it off of the evidence I've seen of the club on the last few years. And I'd like to be hopeful. But as far as I'm concerned, the burden of proof lies with the board to prove me wrong because they've lost that faith from me. I, I, I definitely agree. That I mean, no one agrees with that statement more than me because I think no one has been quite as resilient to the board's failings as I have been in finding at this point. You know what? I don't want to use retrospective 2020 hindsight and say that I was just making excuses. I think the rationale I found in a lot of their activities up until the last few years was valid. However, the way they've behaved in the last few years, there's yeah, they need to repair it. it it's the, the onus isn't on us. The onus is on, on them. It's a case of whether they actually have the drive to or not to tell you the truth because they've got their cash cow at the moment and it's beginning to it's beginning to feel like all the people that said they're just in it for the money churn were right. And I really don't want those people to be right because most of those people are loud, angry dickheads. <laughs> um but we know what? I, I, i'm not i'm, I'm not I, I don't even mind too much about that like let, let's look at this realistically football clubs are businesses there isn't this mythical billionaire spurs fan that has only altruistic feelings towards the ownership of the club there are only two types of ownerships in the modern day there are the state-owned time mm. clubs which even for as levy out as i am i would rather have levy or enoch or someone like that as opposed to a saudi arabia mm. or there are Cronkers or John W. Henry's or the rest of them. Do you think Stan Cronker owns Arsenal because he grew up with pictures of, you know, Roe Castle or Thierry Henry or whatever on his wall as a boy? No. Do you think John W. Henry didn't look at Liverpool and thought anything other than this is one of the biggest clubs in the world and I can get them for 300 million? They're there to make money. I don't really mind an investor coming in and looking at Spurs as an investment opportunity that they want to make profit off of. The thing that confuses me and the thing that annoys me is. For some reason, our board are, I don't know about unable or unwilling to see the connection between having success on the pitch and them also getting more money because of that success. I feel like they're able, like we can both be happy in the sense that they can continue to kind of fatten the cow or make more money mm. from it. But by doing that, they can invest in the club and make it make a successful winner Premier League, winner Champions League, whatever it mm. might be. And all of a sudden, there's a seven year old in Brazil or Peru or India or China that is buying a Spurs shirt because they've seen us lift a European Cup or whatever it is. I don't think Levy's stupid. I don't think he's ignorant to this. I don't know if he is unwilling to or just has maybe more of a utopian view of how uh, football should be. I think part of the problem is, is that they bought in 20 years ago and I think they initially bought the club for something like 20, 20 or 30 million pounds and now it's worth two, three, four billion or whatever they value it as. So I think for them, they've almost already made their money. And if I'm Levy, I'm probably, or Joe Lewis, I'm looking at it and going, if this club's worth five billion or four billion, doesn't make a difference at this point because I only bought in about 20 or 30 million quid. Mm. So I think that's probably the thing that's stopping them. That like, is there that drive to make Spurs Premier League winners? I, I mean, does it really matter at this point when you're running that much money and you've put that little into it, it it's almost negligible. And I think that's ultimately why, as far as I'm concerned, their race has been run in the way that, you have a player and sometimes they overstay their welcome and you have a manager and sometimes they overstay their welcome. I feel that way with the owners. Sometimes things just have to part, but unlike the players and unlike the manager, Levy's not going to sack himself. Joe Lewis isn't going to sack Levy and they're not going to sell. I've seen a lot of fans say we should be protesting more. I've seen Man United fans protest the Glazers for nearly 20 years, including before they even took over. And the only reason they may sell now, and even that's not guaranteed, is because they're going to get the price they want for no other reason. So we just have to reconcile with it as best as we can and just accept that we're stuck with them until somebody comes and puts, slams down that four billion pound or whatever it is they want on the table. And it's a crappy position for us to be in, but I don't see what choice we have other than to just adjust your expectation and emotional investment in the club accordingly is where I'm at with it. Uh, and it's always on us, the fans, to adjust. Yes or no answer? You're renewing your season ticket? Um... <laughs> I am going to leave it until the absolute last minute. And then I would love to sit here and say, no, I'm not going to review. But I think you and I both know deep down <laughs> that that answer is going to be yes. And I'm going to be doing it so begrudgingly. And I'm going to be sat there crying and smashing the screen as I type in the last three digits on the back of the card and all the rest of it. But Levy has us by the balls. And 
he knows it and we know yeah. it. And just despite them, I'm not going to pretend on June the 3rd, we're going to do it on June the 2nd. We're going to make them wait till the very last minute to get our money that they don't even need. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. Dave, you've been quiet for a while. I hope you've been brewing up loads of vitriol and loads of uh, condescension towards us and how uh, entitled and privileged we are. So please, the floor is yours. Spew away. Make my job easy for me. <clears throat> All right. So I've, I've been joining Dots and I've been trying to work out the uh, the reasoning behind all this. And uh, and I've and I've come to the obvious conclusion that it's Beyonce's fault. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I, I'm very curious to this well, trade well, of thoughts well, to go with it. Well, I, I, I jest, of course. It's not Beyonce's fault. She's a, she's a wonderful artist. My question, which is probably a little bit silly, um, but I think is worth factoring into this conversation is you've now got a really great stadium, which is an incredible revenue generator for you guys. Does it mean mm. Enoch care less that you're a successful football club on the pitch? Because you are in a situation where you are generating more revenue than you've ever driven before. This season will probably be the most revenue you've ever made in a, in a, in a season, calendar year, mm. not, not specifically de- dedicated to football activity. So who cares if you're eighth? Who cares if you're ninth? Just be eighth every season. Get Beyonce there four times a year. Maybe maybe see if you know the Stones will do it just for you, Elio. And then uh, uh, and then to hell with the football. It's it's a secondary revenue generator. And that's and that if 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 uh, if I was a uh, a fan of a of a club with an infrastructure that good with an ability to ge- generate revenue that fairly non football parallel, mm. then that would be a worry. But you know, I, I, I think they, I think they all, the man with five billion pounds would always like five billion and one, uh, and there is more money for more success in the club. But I guess the, I guess the, the, the issue there is, do you have to spend more than you're actually going to recoup to actually get anywhere near it? It makes us as football fans have a lot of conversations like this, which you really don't want to have. <laughs> you want to you talk about football. You just want to talk about football. You want to talk. You, you want to get into into the details of. Uh, of why you know it is so incredible that Harry Kane is probably having what second best ever goal scoring season, um, and nobody's talking about it because there's this absolute Terminator uh, uh, in Manchester who just won't stop scoring goals. And you want to talk about that stuff, and you want to talk about you know Poro having a poor start to start to his uh, his career, but over the last couple of couple of games he's shown flashes of what potentially you could have on your hands, which is a really promising forward thinking fullback or wingback but we're not talking about that we're talking about Beyonce I mean we're not we're talking about uh we're, <laughs> we're talking about all of the stuff that mm. you never thought you'd talk about when you were a kid my son has football cards at the moment he's he's got Harry Kane he treasures that card you know he's also got a Ledley King limited edition which uh I said you better look after this one this is a good one not many people like this yeah <laughs> I'll be stealing that at your barbecue in a couple of weeks. Exactly. I'm going to lock him up. Um, but um, he's not talking about Enoch. He's not talking about the financial affairs of the club. He's talking about how many goals did Harry Kane score today, Dad? Uh, and that's, you know, it's easy to say that and be nostalgic and look through a kid's eyes. But maybe that's what we all should be doing a bit more because it's, it's just a bit soul-destroying talking about finances and whether their heart's in it and state-run or soulless billionaires mm. it's, ugh. anyway that's all i got and you know what you, you do have a good point in that and when we were kids we obviously were talking about the players we had on our panini stickers and for me i think the season where football really became alive for me was 94 95 blackburn won the league everton won the cup we had Jurgen klinsman just at that point being probably the mo- the biggest success from overseas in well since Cantona went to you basically so there was that was just beautiful and exciting and it makes me ask the question as adults now is it just harder to focus on just the romance and the skill and what happens on the pitch but when we were kids and our dads were the adults maybe talk about things other than just what was happening on the pitch there wasn't the freedom of information the freedom of the access to information social media worldwide web um and also just the general grotesque glamour and money that's attached to itself to football that there is now 
And I don't think it does any of us any good that we're reading a thousand different opinions from a thousand different people, some with knowledge, some without, um, almost all geared just to wind us up on a weekly basis. Because let's be honest, controversy and anger drives revenue Mm. streams. This very um, cultish, very partisan anger that lives in basically every football fan alive these days because that's what gets them their clicks. Mm. So so I'm not sure it's possible for us to have the wide-eyed innocence of a child. Um, I, I'd love it if it was, but I don't think you're that fan, and I know I'm certainly not that fan, and I'm not sure who that fan is other than your children. Um, the point remains, when you when we roll back to socks and what socks was saying yeah. at the start of this, uh, of this pod where he was saying it was all about moments, and if anything, those moments take you back to when you didn't care about any of that and take you back to when you didn't yeah. know about any of that and you're just watching football and you're just enjoying the what's happened on the pitch. And that and that's where yeah. it's sad that we all can't be all there all the time. Mm. It, it is sad that but we can't I understand all that we be can't there all the time. Because of I... bloody Beyonce. It is bloody Beyonce's fault. Spurs, I think, have now deleted their tweet promoting the Beyonce concert earlier, and I imagine that was because of the level of abuse about the club it received <laughs> underneath it. So you're waiting very patiently for an in there as Dave was making his point. I hope you haven't forgotten what you wanted to say. No, I wrote it down because one of them is actually a warning for you, Elio, because you said that the deadline for the season ticket was the 2nd or 3rd of June, and I checked and it's actually the 1st. So I had this image in my mind of you being on your laptop on June the 2nd going, I'm going to show Levy, I'm not going to review, and then getting to a thing. It's like, shit, I missed it, I missed it. (laughs) And you unintentionally actually end up sticking it to Levy, even though you didn't mean to. That was <laughs> so. That was my first thing. The second one was actually to a point that um, Dave made about um, does the club not care about making any more money? And the man who has five billion wants five billion and one. I I think it's more obviously they care about making more money, but I guess my kind of rebuttal to that would be from their perspective. Do you think they are making that money from football or from the go karting from the F one? from the NFL, from Beyonce. I think that's kind of the answer to that question is like, of course they care about making more money, but they're not doing it in ways that benefit the footballing side of the football club because you're going to have 62,000 people in there watching three or four different Beyonce concerts and you've already had them watching Lady Gaga and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm. And the other day we announced two more NFL games that we have a 10-year contract that I think goes up to 2029 and we're hosting rugby games and we're hosting all the rest of it. So it's not that they don't care about making more money, but I think they don't care about winning the Champions League necessarily or winning about the Premier League, winning the Premier League. I mean, from a financial perspective, the difference between finishing first and second in terms of the actual money you get from league position is pretty negligible. And this was something that Stan Gronker... Uh, I think it's like I think on average it's 1.2 million per position. Yeah. So Obviously, the difference the between league, winning the league the impact... and getting relegated is what about 25 million ish? Uh, yeah, there are thereabouts. Yeah, there are that, thereabouts. That's I mean, Harry what... Kane's left toe. Yes, we've essentially become. Do you value his left toe more than your left testicle? I'm trying to do the maths <laughs> off the top of my head, but I can't remember what you, what you valued your testicle at. But we'll get back. We, we could do that afterwards and edit it back in or something. But I, I think this is something that um, Stan Kroenker essentially figured out with Arsenal, and it's only now that he owns the majority of the club and bought the rest of the shares um, off of Usmanov or whoever it was that he's actually starting to give a crap about the sporting side of things. What's the thing we used to say about Arsenal when they moved into the Emirates? And their own fans used to say as well, it wasn't really a criticism as much as it is a statement. of As long as they're in the top four, they're making enough money for the owners to be happy. How much money do you get from winning the FA Cup or even getting to the final? Nothing really. We got 100 million euros, I think it was, from losing that Champions League final. I don't know what winning the FA Cup gets you, but I reckon it's probably... You could have 10 or 15 FA Cup wins in a row and you probably still get more from losing a Champions League final. And that's just the reality of it. We make the money that we need to now from Beyonce and all the rest of it. And that's why we are sort of stuck in this limbo. And it is going to take the sort of mass protest that is so unprecedented. I mean, you are going to need to see 30 to 40,000 people in a 62,000 seater stadium on a weekly basis for a prolonged period of time for any change to have to happen. And it hasn't happened at Old Trafford and it hasn't happened at St. James's Park and it didn't happen at the Emirates. And I don't think we're going to be the exception to that rule because organizing these sorts of protests on scale, en masse, it's easy to get angry on the internet, but to get people out on the streets where you can actually enforce that kind of change. And that's the reality of, of, and that's of the, the thing. In the here. bubble of social media or in the bubble of 
110, 115 odd minutes inside a stadium, you you vent that anger and you display it and you try and reach some kind of catharsis with it. But then you're not in the moment and you remember that it's still entertainment. It's not real life. You have a job that you want to keep in this financially uncertain time. You have a family that you want to feed. You have uh, an older relative that you want to take care of. Like there, There's so many things. You, you have a holiday that you want to book even. You have things that in real life take precedence. And so outside of the bubbles where football is important, football's actually really, really unimportant, no matter how passionate a football fan you are. Um, I, I, I don't think the man whose entire week is ruined by his club's bad results really exists. Um, I think the man whose night is ruined by his club's bad results exists. And I don't think anyone's willing to mass protest of having 20 evenings a year being ruined. I think we're going to start going around in circles on this topic soon. So I'm going to shift it on to something far more entertaining, our manager hunt. So in the last few days, almost as if it was timed perfectly to just twist that knife up our sphinxes, we have seen the club put on some pantomime, we're not going after Nagelsmann narrative, actually thinking that's what the fans would want to hear when we don't get Nagelsmann. Strange. And then not long after, within a couple of days, one of our big rivals confirms the appointment of the last man to make Spurs fans feel anything. Discuss. Socks first. So the Nagelsmann thing. So I, there are two or three different things at play here. The first thing is that it just feels like an unnecessary PR own goal. Like we came out to try and get ahead of this news that he had probably been rejected, uh, had rejected us. But because the the mood and the feeling towards the board is as hostile as it is, they should have been smart enough to realize that nobody would have given them that benefit of the doubt. And we end up just looking incredibly embarrassing. It's it's like, oh, no, 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 I, I broke up with her. Tell all your friends, <laughs> tell your friends. She didn't break up with me. I was the one that broke up with her. It has very much that that vibe. And I think because we've already lived through the shambles that was the 2021 managerial search, that was the first time. I've been pretty calm about the process this whole time just because it's been a few months and, and loads of the managers we are supposedly after or some of them anyway are still in jobs. I'm thinking of the likes of Arne Schlott, for example, and Postecoglou and, and Vincent Company, albeit he is now also at the question because he signed a new contract last week and all the rest of it. I've been fairly calm up until this point. That was the first time on Friday where I start little murmurs of the 2021 trauma were like, oh, here's my uh, Vietnam War flashback. That's that mm -hmm. kicking in. Here's the fever dream I'm starting to have. I don't necessarily mind that we've missed out on him necessarily. I would have appreciated more honesty from the club because if it is true that they have not considered him or do not think he's the right person for the job, I'd like to understand why because he ticks a hell of a lot of boxes on paper the fact that we have supposedly haven't really interviewed anybody as well and this is where some of the mixed messages from the media make the whole thing confusing because we're operating based off on a lot of half truths and only levy and everybody mm -hmm. else will really know what's going on i can't quite put together the picture and for me it leaves the impression that we don't really know what we're doing that's my biggest takeaway from the whole thing it isn't that we've missed out on nagelsman i'm more than happy to except not having him as the coach even though he was high up on my list it's more so this idea of we went to speak to him here's my takeaway from it we went to speak to him he made some demands those demands were probably i need this specific director mm. of football here's a couple of directors of football here are some demands on the wage budget i would assume they wouldn't be too unrealistic because i don't think he's a stupid man and he knows where we are as a club here's some demands on uh you know maybe some of the players i'd like in and out based on some assessments i've done what do you think and we've turned around and for one reason or other said no. Without having the full picture, that worries me slightly and that scares me slightly. But a large part of that is going back to what we said before, where I don't have any faith on the board. So once again, the burden of proof lies with them to come out and tell me this is why we rejected him. And this is who we have lined up, who we think is the actually the better fit. And this is why we think he's the better fit. Obviously, that second part hasn't happened yet. And in a few months' time, it could be someone like Arne Schlott. And we're all more than happy that we didn't get. Uh, Nagelsmann, but as we are right now, like I said, Vietnam War flashbacks. That's that's where I'm at. I'm I'm starting for the first time to get a bit scared. It's day fifty, I think. Has yeah, begins to feel like they haven't learnt from the last shit show in very recent living memory. All of what two years ago? Not even. Uh, I I I 
completely agree with you with with that on that sentiment. And I think I think the lack of any people who understand football amongst our board is just really showing at the moment. We have we have no Edwards anymore. We have no Barber. We we don't even have a Baldini or a David Pleat. I would kill for David Pleat to be in Levy's ear right now to tell you the truth um i mean say what you want about the man but and he may not have been a great manager but he's someone who bleeds football uh he's he's with the ilks of your bobby robsons and your howard wilkinsons and your um your roy hodgson's in terms of uh in terms of his uh love for the game and his knowledge of how football actually operates beyond the bean counting side um dave as an outsider who is at this point, I imagine far better versed in all things Spurs than your average non-Spurs fan. I know it's a shame, but uh, uh, we have done this to you and this is now your cross to bear. What do Spurs look like as a club from your point of view, from the from the unemotional, unattached point of view, in, especially this manager search? Are you sat there thinking, how do we not have a manager yet two months later? Specifically focus on the manager hunt, if that is the word. Is that a hunt? Um... I don't think to to the outside world, Spurs manager home would be on the radar if they hadn't have said what they said about Nagelsmann. Uh, and I, I do think okay. that is a little bit of a, well, it's a massive on goal. I mean, don't say anything. And if it comes out, you say, yeah, he's a world-class manager. We had a conversation with him. It wasn't, we didn't work out. We have our ideas of what we want. He had his ideas. They weren't aligned. So we moved on and we and we keep looking and we'll find someone that, has, that shares what we're going for. And everybody would have gone, oh, okay, fine. Let's move on. Then. But this doesn't surprise me I haven't found anyone yet because if you are finding someone now, you're finding someone who either hasn't got anything to fight for um, and therefore is he worth getting um, or mm. hasn't got a job. And the people that don't have a job, I guess, I guess Graham Potter's looking at uh, having a, a bit of a break. He's looking better and better all the time right but now. I'm sure he's having a break because <laughs> he's still getting paid by Chelsea. And, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, Cash that one in just uh, just yet, and you never know; it might be signed and sealed. You wouldn't shop. When did you say was your season ticket deadline was? First of June. First of June, not third of June. All right, okay. So it's the thirtieth of May is when we're all going to find <laughs> out who your new manager. Um, so that you get all your season ticket money because that's how it works apparently. And then the other one who's out of work is probably Brendan Rodgers. You know, Potter would be a good hire. I I hope that if Leeds stay, we'd we'd be uh, hopefully. Um, fishing for him as well. Not that I, I think we'd get him over you guys, but you never know. But the other people that are, I'm looking at the odds right now, the other people that are in conversation are in good jobs, doing good jobs. So you've got, you've already mentioned uh, Schlott at Feyenoord. Feyenoord just won the league. Hmm. So I don't know, maybe they have had conversations. Maybe NDAs have been signed on Schlott's side to say, you can't tell anyone you've been talking to me until I've won this league. Who else have you got? Jabby Alonso. I think he was, he's been mentioned quite a lot. I think he's the second favourite actually after, after Schlott. Uh, yeah, uh, Thomas Frank. Uh, he's up there in, in the bookies odds. I do rate Frank. The other one uh, who's in the top ten is one that we talked about, mentioned just now, which was Postecoglou, who's just won the league with uh, with Celtic. Frank's obviously still going with Brentford, looking for their best finish ever. Javi Alonso still in the Europa League uh, against Roma, second leg on mm-hmm. Thursday. So they've all got stuff to be getting on with. You know, they may have said to their lawyers, "Yes, have preliminary you know feelings out with these people," but it doesn't surprise me at all that you haven't got someone yet signed and sealed. And uh, it doesn't surprise, surprise the footballing world, I don't think. I think it just was a bit odd that you chose to say, I didn't I didn't want him anyway about Nagelsmann, which just screams you did, and he turned you down. Yeah, it's, 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 the, it's the kid at school that wants to talk big, but always sniffs around a girl that's not interested and didn't want to win yeah didn't want her anyway um i'm perfectly happy with my baked potato that my mum defrosted for me and put in my lunchbox this thing i don't the pretty girl that's your, that's your standard um, replacement I don't for know a girl a warm baked potato <laughs> well that either says that was that... a very specific example <laughs> elliot did you speak from experience it's a very this, random food this, this either suggests that i never really had to feel that rejection or more likely that the scars are so deep that my mind is boggled by it all and this is exactly what it looks like <laughs> nothing in between it's one or the other um, i've got this in i've got this image of your mum just pulling out a boiled potato from the freezer with like w-e-d baked. wednesday just written on it yeah <laughs> 
Here's Elio's Thursday potato. Oh, here's the Friday one. <laughs> I was the unfortunate kid that got a bloody tracker bar when other kids were getting packs of water. Oh, don't, don't, it not was tracker an unhappy time. I enjoyed tracker bars. Yeah, it's nice to have on the side of a packet of crisps, but in place of never. <laughs> right, we digress, albeit to far more um, amusing conversation. So looking at who's in the running then, Arne Schlott obviously is quite highly championed at the moment. Um, there was rumour uh, on on the world of Twitter earlier that um, one fan had received an email from Matthew Collicott saying, uh, who's obviously high up at the club, saying future's looking bright for Spurs. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but hopefully that does mean that we are close to someone and it's just not all over the media. Um, that Postacoglu his side plays good football in Scotland. Uh, who knows? I think that that would be underwhelming personally. And um, the second favourite with the bookies is James, just, as Dave just alluded to, is one Xabi Alonso. Um, obviously, someone with winning mentality uh, littered throughout his playing career. Teams have had a pretty decent stab of a season at Leverkusen, but it's a very small sample size. He's not done a preseason in his life as a manager, and he is, uh, well, not quite to the extreme that you described Mason the other day, but he seems to be the sort of person that if one of our rivals were hiring him, you'd think, oh my God, they're hiring a guy who's not even done a full season in management. However, the link has come out quite strong in the last few days. What do you think, Sox? I'm not sure we'll get him. I, I saw something today. I think they signed a play. I think it was Grimaldo from Benfica or something they've been wanting for a while. But if we if we assume hypothetically that that, that doesn't actually mean anything, uh, I'm in agreement with you in that the sample size is a bit too small. So I think he's been managing for about four years, but three of those were with the Real Sociedad B team. So this has been his first full season. So they're, what, 34 games in is the only bit of experience that he has. Obviously, with a relatively big club in Leverkusen, you would argue a kind of a similar club in the Bundesliga. If you compare that just on paper to someone like Arne Schlott, who's also been managing for four years, but he's already reached a conference league final with Feyenoord last year, where they narrowly lost to, to Jose Mourinho's Roma. They've obviously just won uh, the Eredivisie. And I know people will mock that league, but you need to look at the achievement in context. I think this is the first time that somebody that isn't called Ajax or PSV have won that league since uh, 2017. And I think Feyenoord themselves have only won the Eredivisie once since the turn of the century. So even though it's not the strongest league in the world, to win it with Feyenoord, is like winning the French League with a team that isn't called PSG. Yeah, it would have been like if Arteta had won the Premier League this season, for instance. Yes, exactly. Big Arsenal club hadn't won the league club. in 20 years. Precisely that. Um, and I look at some of the other stuff someone like Schlott has done, again, just for the sake of comparison, they lost their entire side last year, completely gutted. They lost Sinistera to Leeds, uh, Malassia went to Man United, Senesi went to Bournemouth, even players that they'd had on loan, like someone like Reese Nelson, for example, was on loan to them. Obviously, he's been playing for Arsenal this season. I think they lost. Uh, I remember reading something of of all of the team they had that started the Conference League final. What last May, last June? They've only got four of those that actually remain at the club in terms of the starting eleven. And he's gone on and won the league this season. So all of this is to say, Xabi Alonso could be a great manager one day in the way Arteta is proving to be, in the way that Ryan Mason may well be. But we had this discussion, I think, on the last podcast. There isn't enough there to make me go, OK, I'm going to pick Xabi Alonso over someone like Arne Schlott. I don't watch the Bundesliga week in, week out. I don't watch the Eredivisie week out. But just off of my limited knowledge and the stuff I've read, I wouldn't be upset with him, but it would make me think, OK, how many managers have turned us down for us to get to Xabi Alonso? Yeah, it, it, I guess for me, hiring Xabi Alonso would be a little bit like if we'd signed Gattuso as manager a few years ago or or something of that ilk. Great player in the game, won everything he could win in his playing career. Um, obviously, quite a big personality as well. But do you want to be the guinea pig for which he tests his mettle as a manager? And I think that takes me back down my line of thinking of our last discussion around this, of if we aren't going to get the plan A, then... I actually do prefer Mason to the majority of plan Bs. Now, if because of scouting, because of data, and because of um, general connections and analysis in the football world, which I don't trust Spurs to actually do, but if we have done 
proper big for consultancy level due diligence on Xabi Alonso and identified him as actually the absolute right fit above all others for what we want to do, then I'd be 100% behind that as our managerial signing. I just do not have faith, given the scattergun approach that we've been seeing for several years, that Spurs do that much due diligence because Daniel Levy's not surrounded by football people on the board. He's surrounded by other economists and accountants on the board, which is fine. It means the club's well run. I like that. But there should be some football voices in there too. So I just don't trust that we do our homework anyway. I think I think we listen to agents, which is what ends up with a series of managers who don't fit our so-called DNA. I think we get bedazzled by names, which is why we end up with Conte and why we end up with Jose. And I think we we don't make the same investments in the single most important part of the football club that we make in all these other areas. Imagine if we do the exact same level of research and diligence, due diligence on hiring manager that we did on identifying Beyonce. the right kind <laughs> of Tim well, Beyonce, yeah. But I was gonna say the right kind of timber, the right building and construction companies, the right electrical experts, the right lawyers to get our our permits over line. Imagine if we put that level of effort into finding the guy responsible for making the club work as we did into building the stadium, we'd have won three league titles in a row if we actually put that much effort into it. I mean, all right, I hyperbolize, but it it just feels like I think I did you use the term throwing darts with a blindfold on or something like that? That's just what it feels like. So that's why it's gonna be very hard for me to get on board with a Jabi Alonso type appointment because I just don't trust the club to have done their homework on it. And if we got him and he turned out to be the Mutt's Nuts, then I'd be delighted, but I'm pretty sure it would be a fluke. And the one time it looked like they did do their due diligence and identify the right person was Pochettino. However, that theory has been so greatly diluted by everything that's happened since that appointment that... I've now begun to think Pochettino was a fluke as well. I was going to reference that because I think you're spot on where the process is almost more important than the outcome. Because if you go through that process, there's every chance that you come up with a manager and he's the wrong fit. But that doesn't mean the process itself was wrong. It's just that you can get stuff stuff wrong sometimes. Like big clubs and bigger clubs than ours sometimes sign bad players or sometimes hire bad coaches. But if you trust the process, it means that will only happen one times out of 10. You mentioned Pochettino. The first, I think we mentioned it before on this podcast, our first choice manager at that time was actually Louis van Gaal, not Pochettino. And the other name on that shortlist was Frank de Boer. Obviously, we ended up with Pochettino, but since we sacked him, we reverted back to the process that led us to Pochettino, which was Daniel Levy going from the biggest name. Back then, it was van Gaal, it was Ramos at a point, and obviously recently, it's been Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte. So having an idea, having a plan and having a process means that you're going to get it right nine times out of 10. It was Jacques Santini because he was the manager of France. It was one day Ramos because he'd pick up a couple of UEFA Cups with Sevilla. It was Louis van Gaal because he's Louis van Gaal. And recently it's been Jose Mourinho or Conte. So I completely agree with you where the way we identify the next manager, the way we sign players, to me is almost more important and will give me more faith in the long term or even medium term future of this club than the name we hire themselves. And I think kind of going back to Nagelsmann, I think that's kind of what scares me. My concern, again, isn't so much that we lost out on him. It's what did Nagelsmann not like in those conversations? Was it similar to the Chelsea thing where he spoke to Todd Bowley and thought, oh, this guy's got no clue. Mm. That's what concerns me. It's not that we've lost out on him. It's that he had one, two, three meetings with our board with Daniel Levy and thought, "Uh uh-uh, these guys don't have what it takes. They don't have the vision. They don't have the plan that I can align with. So whether that's true or not, or just conjecture remains to be seen, I suppose. Well, I think that probably is time up on this episode. I don't think there's too much we've left uncovered. The club's a shambles. The managerial search is all over the place. We don't really care what happens in our matches. (laughs) We're kind of hoping Leeds beat us so that they can stay up and our friend wants to continue doing this with us next season. Um, But either of you, do you have anything to to add to... to, uh, to our viewers is well our viewers our listeners is they can't see sounds uh arsenal you're a bunch of useless cunts stains overpaid the lot of you the most insufferable insufferable set of ever to grace football 
I have to be honest, I have been enjoying every second since 24 hours ago and drinking it in. I don't care how shameless it is. I don't care how we are. I read a tweet um, from someone, just one of those moronic uh, Arsenal Twitter accounts that hides behind a picture of one of their players because he's too much of a little to show his own face. And he was going on about how, um, oh, he lost sleep. He said, I actually lost sleep last night. And I'm going to be honest, I almost started masturbating. I was so happy. I, I, I couldn't tell you how overjoyed I was. It has given me absolute life and absolute joy. And I know they're going to be better than us the next season. And I know they probably might go off and win the league next season. I don't care. I don't care. F*** you. I know you're not listening, but f*** every single one of you. Go f*** yourself. It's almost like I've had to behave this week because I'm hosting. <laughs> and Socks has just mutated into this toxic depraved version of me that just produced the greatest file we've ever heard in the history of the plus day podcast so thank you thank you for blessing i know my... people can't see you Elio, but during my monologue you just look like emperor palpatine at the background just like standing over vader like good good <laughs> i've finally completed my ascent to the dark side like oh, that's it now there's no Please turning don't back throw me down a giant hole in space only for me to re-emerge <laughs> several it. decades later with absolutely no clue of how i got there um i, I that really wouldn't yeah, be cool but it's just but, an um, average study, right? I, I thoroughly enjoyed that and i guess here's a question for you dave obviously we're glorifying an arsenal's collapse i do think that it's is not just worthy of being called bottling it based on previous precedents of what constitutes bottling it, but I think it's arguably the biggest collapse of a title challenge since the last time Arsenal were leading a title race. But do you think that's harsh or do you think Arsenal have actually thrown it away and stolen defeat from the jaws of victory? Yeah, of course they bottled it. Of course they bottled it. It was a bottle job, but ultimately the kind of counter argument to that which i know you don't want to hear you just wanted me to hear that and say cut end of podcast but they had to be mm. there to bottle it and they were and they had a great yeah. season but then they dropped points against who southampton can't do that pretty much the same teams we've dropped points against actually in our version of a bottling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys bottled it too yeah yeah you you had uh you had fourth sewn up and now you're gonna finish eighth so good luck with that yeah but you know ultimately uh I were if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd worry that this was the best chance that they're going to have. Mm. It can go one of two ways, I think, for them. Um, and just based on our own recent history, when we first challenged for the title, and we were never top, but when we first challenged for the title and were we called by all and sundry bottle jobs, were the year that Leicester won it, um, which seems purely based on the very patronising premise that, oh, it's only Leicester at the top of the league, therefore you should be able to overtake them, which just speaks volumes of how much of an arsehole nation we are uh, when it comes to these things. So based on that, we did collapse at the end of the season. We were drawing and losing games we shouldn't have, and uh, we ended up getting hammered uh, 5-1 by, a re- was it 5 or 6-1 by a relegated Newcastle on the last day of the season with Soko having the game that convinced us to go and sign him. Um, but the season after, we recorded our best ever Premier League season, our best actual season of any description in the league since we won it in 1961. We finished second to Chelsea, but we played amazing football, top scorers in the league, best possession, best defence, Harry Kane, Deli Ali, Eriksen, all on absolute fire. And something big was happening. We improved, we got better. There was loads to look forward to. Do you think that's what's, that's what's likely to happen with Arsenal? Or do you think they could go the other way and actually their young squad, crushed by this, could go on a bit, bit of a spiral? Similarly, I guess, to the Newcastle team of the late 90s or even the Leeds team of the early noughties and the way when they didn't quite um, hit the peaks that they threatened to hit, they went sort of on a downward trend afterwards. Because it is a big thing to take, having all that glory taken away from you at the very death. I don't know. I, 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 who knows what will come out? Uh, the only thing that I would say is, regardless of what Arsenal do, Chelsea will be better next season. Liverpool will be better next season. Unfortunately, Man United will probably be better next season. Uh, Newcastle will be, be better next season. City mm. might be better next season. How? Well, Holland will score 55 instead of 50, won't he? Um, but that's... You know, you you, you got to take advantage when they, when when 
the top teams aren't performing as well as they could. That is what Leicester did. You know, as much as, as much as it was, it certainly wasn't a oh, you should beat Leicester. That it's only Leicester. A few teams had off seasons that season, and and that and that opened mm. the door, and Leicester ran through it. Uh, uh, that is what happened for the majority of this season until Man City went on an incredible run. Uh, so you know, the jury's out as to whether that will happen again, but um, I don't know. We'll see. That's why we watch football, innit? Don't know what's going to happen, apart from Spurs scoring a last-minute free kick to relegate us. I, you know what? I, I think I think I'll, I'll be devastated to see that be the end of this season. I would be devastated if after all the Spurs have served us up to us, it then does that to you um i think it's going to be very mixed emotions and i'm not ashamed to say that on that final day of the season so to wrap up i am currently looking up all our twitter handles so that um i can plug uh us to our listeners so if uh, you have enjoyed this please do follow dave jameson at fantasy dave on twitter please follow Daggis, even though he did not uh, do us the good grace to actually attend this week he's at plus dave dags please follow me can i even remember my twitter handle i can it's at elio underscore p underscore thfc i'm not quite sure it's wordy and mouthy enough so if you have suggestions for a longer more obnoxious uh twitter handle please uh do let us know and um do you have a twitter handle ready or not socks no so i'm gonna wait for it to be officially officially confirmed which will probably be when I suspect City win on Sunday against Chelsea. And I've got a few ideas. So by the time you listen to <laughs> the next episode, I will have had one set up with some tweets there. Uh, I need to come up with a name for my fake Arsenal fan. But uh, yeah, stay tuned. Something I'm, to look forward I'm to for next week. very <laughs> excited by this. Thank you all for listening and uh, hope you enjoy your weeks. And let's get a nice final home game of the season so that I have a reason to clap the players on their round lap of honour afterwards. Who am I kidding? I'm not staying for that. I'm going straight home. See you later, Spurs fans. Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they've done it! They've done it!